Turn with me once again to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. We were at this text last week. We'll look at it one more time today, a contrast in what the Lord said in these two verses about travel and about eternity. Matthew chapter 7, reading at verse 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Again, in this particular text, the Sermon on the Mount, Obviously, Jesus is inferring travel here, and the travel that he's talking about is not about a earthly travel from one destination or geographical point to another. The travel here that he's referring to is the travel of our lives. We begin and we end somewhere, just like anybody who is walking, uh, riding an animal, driving a car, flying in a plane, you leave at one point, you end at another. And anybody who is skeptical of that just needs to walk through a graveyard and see that that is exactly what happens. We begin, there's a dash, and then it is all over with. We have reached our earthly destination. So Jesus, of course, is referring here in a spiritual manner to life and about our journey through life and about that when our life ends, we are going to enter in to an eternal destination that is far, far, far longer than our little bitty dash short life was. So he's using the illustration or example analogy of a path, a road, a walkway, just like people traveled in his day. Today we drive cars, trains, and many other things. But again, it's still the same process, so still applicable and everything is headed to a destination. If it is moving, it has a destination. It may arrive at the intended destination. It may arrive at another destination, unintended and unplanned, but there will be a destination. And we would stress to you by way of introduction again then that what is more important the destination or the travel conditions? We like both, don't we? But had you not rather to arrive where you want to be, no matter what the conditions of getting there are, rather than enjoying what we might call smooth sailing and arriving at the wrong destination? Well, that is exactly what the Lord is describing here about these two ways, these two roads, these two gates, and these two destinations. There is one way that is smooth, easy, lots of freedom, and everybody's on that way. It's very comfortable. There is another way that is straight and narrow and not as easy, much more compressed and confined, and the destinations are exactly opposite heaven and hell. Now, as sinners, sadly, we wrongly assume that if the traveling conditions are good, we must be on the right road to our destination. It's a deception, isn't it? So easily can we be deceived. 
You can be on an autobahn that may lead you to a bridge that is no longer there. But the sailing will be smooth until you get there and go off, right? Such it is with us as sinners, without the intervening grace of God. People will be living in hell throughout eternity, perhaps running this thought through their mind, well, it seemed right. Brother so-and-so said it was right. The church told me it was right. And on and on so they'll go and such will be nothing but tormenting memories of the way that seemed right but landed them in destruction. Well, last week we talked about the broad way. Today our subject is the narrow way in contrast. And we will try to make three points on this subject as we did last week, although they will not be exactly the same. We want to look again at the narrow way in relationship to its description and instruction We want to look at the narrow way as far as its destination, as we did the broad way. And finally, based upon what the text says concerning the narrow way, the way discovered, because the text says there be few that find it. So, to begin with, the way, the narrow way, by way of description and instruction. The text in verse 13 says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. Nowhere in verse 13 or 14 or anywhere else do we have the instruction, do not enter the wide gate. Do not get on the broad way. It's not there. The instruction is specific to the straight gate. And we are told to enter into it. And I think again from our last message, and we'll make this point again here today, it's very obvious why it is so. That is because, as we were talking just a few moments ago with some of you, when Adam and Eve sinned and went out of the garden, they took the human race through the broad gate, the wide gate, and on to the broad road to destruction. So if you're wondering when and why and how that I say that we were all born on the broad road to destruction, that's where it happened. When Adam got on that road, went through that gate, so did we all. In Adam, by one man's disobedience, judgment came upon all. That human nature that Adam had was imparted to you and to me. So, in opposition to what some people claim, I do not believe, nor does the Bible teach, that every human being comes to some point in their life, whatever age or maturity that some claim that to be, Some even label it an age of accountability that you can't find chapter or verse for in the Bible and say, well then at that point you must either choose the wide gate, the broad road or the narrow gate, straight gate and narrow way. And that's simply not the teaching of the Bible. The Bible teaches that we come forth from the womb already on that broad road leading to destruction. Naturally, sinners. 
And therefore, Jesus said to enter the straight gate. (laughs) Because we're all already come through the wide gate and are on the broad way. So that's very important, I do believe. So we are told, and again remember, this is the Lord Jesus preaching and teaching, saying, Enter ye. So not only is he saying instructively, but based upon who he was, it is, in that sense, a command. It it is like parent-child, just because of the authority that the parent has when they tell a child to do something, it's not an invitation to it, is it? Based on that authority. It's trusting that they know what's best. So just think about for a moment here on this point, the word enter. Enter the straight gate. Straight means narrow. And the narrow way. And I want to briefly just remind you, this has always been God's message to sinners in the Bible. This was a great blessing to me when I contemplated this. Because it proves the point again that everybody's headed the wrong way. (laughs) Doing their own thing their own way. And God's instruction to sinners has always been, you need to get out of that way and get in this way. And let's just go back to Father Abraham, shall we? The father of the faithful. In Genesis chapter 11 and 12, latter part of chapter 11, first part of chapter 12, we read of God calling Abram, as his name was then, right? And Abram was from the earth of the Chaldees. And God told him to leave there and enter Somewhere else, didn't he? <laughs> he uh, you go to this land that I'm going to give you and enter into it, but leave that. Now you begin to think about that. That, has what, that is exactly what God has always said. When the flood came, what did Noah have to do to save himself and his family? He had to leave this old sinful condemned world and enter what? An ark to the salvation of himself and his household. When the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt, what did they have to do? What were they instructed to do? What did God promise to do? Leave there and enter what? The promised land. That has always been the message of the Bible. Leave this and enter that. And that's exactly what happened with them, was it? Let's go a step further. When the Israelites, a little more personal, when the Israelites crossed over Jordan River and entered the promised land, the first city they faced was what? Jericho, right? And there's a marvelous story of salvation there about a harlot that was kind to the spies, right? Her name was Rahab. Rahab again did what? She left (laughs) her occupation and her native people to enter into what? The covenant and worship of the Israelites. And I bring that up because it's very personal, but that's what every believer 
who exercises faith in Christ is called upon to do. Leave the old. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Go against the tide. When Jesus called his disciples, what did they do? They left things and entered into what? Following the Lord. So do we all. Saul of Tarsus left being a Pharisee of the Pharisees and entered into the apostleship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just give you one more finally. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in the first Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10 and says, How you turn from idols to serve the living God. A leaving of one thing and an entering into something else. So when Jesus says enter the straight gate, He's not teaching a brand new thing by using the word enter that's never been used before. It's always been the precedent, the example, and the teaching of Scripture, and that is what the gospel encompasses. Turn with me to Luke's gospel chapter 13, and let's look at a reference there, the only reference there is to the text that we have before us. And this comes in answer to a question that the disciples ask, or one ask, I say a disciple, in verse 23 of Luke 13, one said, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Obviously, Jesus is talking about the same gate there in the same way as we're talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount, all right? It's not a different thing, it's the same thing. And Jesus used the word strive here. Now, this word is very interesting because to strive here would be almost like uh, two men wrestling. They would be striving with one another. When Jacob wrestled with the angel, he was striving with that angel, you see. It involves the definition of a contest, an expenditure of energy, uh, a wrestling, a fighting, a agonizing literally much like athletes you know I mean in order to win they put forth all the strength all the energy all the muscle all the everything it is agonizing it's not easy so Jesus used that word and said strive to enter in at the straight gate strive to now this implies anything but laziness doesn't it and let me contrast again and say to you from last week that the broad road is the lazy road. It's the fast road. It's the comfortable road. It's the easy road. Bottom line, you don't have to do nothing to go to hell. Just keep on as you are. You don't have to lift your little finger to enter hell. You'll get there quite naturally. But to go to heaven, it's a different story. Somebody may say, well, I, I thought it was easy to be saved. The offer of salvation is easy. But it comes at a cost. Say, I thought the message was easy. Repent and believe. It is. But you will agonize in your repentance. And you will agonize in your faith. Because you are an imperfect, sinful sinner. There's where the agony comes in. There's where the contest comes in. When the divine nature comes into the old nature, there's a contest. 
when the sinner is struggling with sin, with divine things, when his nature is sinful things, there's going to be agony. And if there hasn't been agony, there probably hasn't been no peace. You don't need peace unless you're in agony, do you? So Jesus said, strive to enter in the straight gate and the narrow way, opposite of the broad. Now, this makes it what? If it is narrow, if it is straight, if you're striving, in other words, again, let's go back to that strife. If you are striving and agonizing, then that is what? Several things. Number one, it's personal. If you're the guy out there on the mat, or you're the runner in the race, you're the one agonizing, not the people that are watching from the stands. Right? So it is personal. It has to do with you. You. Not him, not her, not them. You. And it is intense. It is personal. It is individual. It is your effort, not the effort of somebody else. Nobody else can save you. Nobody else can put you in heaven. Nobody else can hand you a ticket. It is you, as Jacob with the angel, that must strive and wrestle and hold on and agonize and pray for the blessing. So that's a very important word here. Now, what does it mean narrow or straight is the gate and narrow is the way? Well, let me first say that it is not saying narrow because it is meant to keep people out. Okay? And I don't believe it's narrow because, well, it just no need for it to be big because uh, there's not many people going that way anyway. I don't, I don't believe that's the implication of the teaching at all. The Bible says that there will be an innumerable number. So don't think that the narrow way is not a well-traveled way. <laughs> there are a lot of people that travel it. But I would say this to you, the idea certainly comes that in a broad road, people can travel shoulder to shoulder and many times do like a stampeding herd of animals to their own destruction or to a herd of swine off a cliff, right? I don't believe those swine probably run off that cliff single file, do you? No, probably not. But you know, people enter the straight gate single file. Single file. Again, it's personal. It's personal. Somebody can't take you by the arm and both of you go in together. It's between you and God. And that's the first implication or thought that comes to my mind. It's not there to keep people out because there's not multitudes ganged up at this gate trying to get in anyway. We'll have more to say about that later on. Multitudes go shoulder to shoulder seeing who can bust hell wide open first. Sadly. But sinners come to Christ individually and personally. And when you come to Christ, it's as if you're the only one at the gate. I remember that in Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress when he came to the wicked gate. You remember that? Christian did and so forth and so on. What a marvelous, marvelous illustration. Second reference, I believe, is important here about a narrow gate is again that it is in singularly the person of Christ. It's not a big gate. It's very specific and very detailed. When Jesus said in John 14, 16, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that is very singular, isn't it? 
There is nothing else to consider. And then note this and see how it fits. He followed up with the rest of that verse, No man cometh to the Father but by me. In John 10, verse 7 and through 9, Jesus referred to himself as the door of the sheep as well as the shepherd of the sheep, right? So again, a door, not a broad road. A passage that is narrow enough for one person at a time to enter into And I again believe the personal aspect is what's so very, very important here. That you come as you are. You come to Christ personally, individually. I'm not saying others can't lead you, others can't point you in the way, but when it comes to putting your faith in Christ and repenting of your sin, you fill the door alone. It's just you and the Lord. All right? Against thee and thee only have I sinned. You see how personal and intimate that is? So Christ alone is the door. He is the entrance. He is the only way. And I want to pause right here and say, do you realize again when Jesus said this about straight is the gate, narrow is the way, the first thing we ought to do is fall down on our knees and praise God for giving us a way off the broad road. He didn't have to. Man got himself in that predicament all on his own. But God in His grace and in His mercy and in His providence and His great and wonderful wise plan of redemption, guess what He did on the broad road leads to destruction? He put an exit ramp. And that's Christ. And while there's many, many lanes to destruction, there's only one exit that'll ever work for a sinner. And that's Christ. Now Satan's got his exit ramps that deceive a lot of people, but you never really change direction. You're still going with the flow. You just may not be in the, in the fast lane anymore. But there is one, and it has plenty of signage and plenty of instruction and plenty of warning about where to get off, where to exit, do it now, don't wait till later, Etc., etc., just like signs you see on a vehicle. This is God's provision. And if God had not made a way, there wouldn't be a way. So, why do people find fault with God's way? Well, <laughs> there again, that's the nature of sinners, isn't it? I want to go my way, and I don't like God's way. But again, as sinners, we rejoice, and as believers, we rejoice that God made a way. Just like when Abraham was going to kill Isaac, God provided a way, a substitute, a ram hung in the bush where he didn't have to kill his son. God provision clearly displayed. One other thing you might think about considering this is that, again, this provision is the opposite of that freedom of the narrow way. In fact, when it says narrow, this word is very interesting too. Narrow here doesn't necessarily mean, you know, narrow as you and I would think in this sense, as opposed to wide, although it does, but the word actually refers to press hard upon. Okay? 
It would be, it would, you would seem like you were in a narrow place if you felt the walls on both of your shoulders, right? Or you would feel in a narrow place if there were people pressing against the side of you. And that's what makes the broad road so wonderful to sinners. You know, they don't, they can get arms length away from anybody and everything, or they can put their arms around one another. They're all rushing headlong. They got freedom to do whatever. The narrow way is different. It literally, the word is used to press as like pressing grapes hard upon. Okay, so so it is what you might say a compressed way in that regard. And in fact, let me just give you this. That word shows up ten times in the New Testament. Four times it's translated trouble. Three times afflicted. One time throng. And one time to suffer tribulation. So the narrow way is a way of trouble. A way of trouble. Now... That makes it not quite so appealing to sinners, doesn't it? But that's what it means. Why then would anybody want to take this way? Well, that brings us to the next point. Because of the destination. Continue as you are and you will go to destruction. Again, as I said in the opening comments, isn't it better to arrive where you want to arrive at regardless of how bad or rough the way was than to have smooth sailing and end up at the wrong place? And that's the difference between sinners and saints. We believe the narrow way is well worth it for one reason. Because of He at the gate who promised the destination. That's what makes it all worthwhile, is it not? The narrow way is a narrow way. Jesus said it would be that way. When we exit off of the big road, you know, we enter into a narrow way. We enter into His way. And again, it is a direction change Therefore, is the destination change. And I'm going to use this analogy. It may not make sense to you, but it does to me. It's like traveling down a multiple-lane freeway, okay? And everybody's going this way, and those lanes over there, hardly anybody's going on those because everybody's headed headlong to destruction. And it's like the analogy I gave you last week, which is a reality. You know, in those freeways, you can take the exit ramp and rather get out there on the feeder you can stay tucked up close and make a U-turn right underneath the overpass and come back and still be on the interstate but going the wrong way. Well, if you do that, it won't be long till you'll turn around and be going in your original direction again because that road's broad too. It's still just a part of the big road, if I can use that analogy. Here's where the saints of God are. When we (coughs) exit and enter the straight gate, we not only take the exit ramp off the broad road, We go underneath the overpass, but not in the U-turn lane, and we end up over there on the feeder, that little bitty narrow road off the freeway entirely, and going back the other way. That's where we're at. And so we are really going against all the tide and all the current that's rushing down through here. 
And while this is a big road and a fast road and a pretty road and all that, that little feeder over there going the wrong road, I mean, they can be pretty rough, can't they? I, I remember I've traveled to Arkansas a lot and Kansas and different things like that. And some of them little old feeders out there beside Amarillo ain't much, they ain't even, they're almost a dirt road. Well, that's the Christian life. But you know what? That road will take you to eternal life. Is it worth traveling? There's not a child of God that's ever been saved by God's grace that didn't say or wouldn't say on their deathbed or in heaven and for eternity it was well worth it. And you know what? Jesus didn't deceive nobody about it, did He? He said the destination is the way that leadeth to eternal life. To life, but life eternal. And He warned us about that way. Did He not? In John's Gospel chapter 10 and verse 27... Through 29, he said, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, I give unto them eternal life, they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So there's no doubt that the narrow way leads to eternal life. And again, here we go, we go from something unto something from sin from the broad road onto the narrow road through the straight gate unto eternal life and we do it how? by faith we don't get off because we can see heaven (laughs) do we? no you know we travel a lot of times oh did you see that? we could eat back there and we take the next exit and circle back and go back to it you know that's not faith No, we exit based on what He has said. If you come to me, I'll forgive you. I'll wash you whiter than snow, though your sins be as scarlet. We come by faith. We travel by faith. But we travel with hope. And you know what? The further we travel, the more we find out everything He said is true. And the longer we live, we can't wait to get there. The road gets rougher. We get older. We look forward to the celestial city, don't we? And that destination is really all that we have on our mind. You know, when you're traveling and the longer you travel and you get tired, what do you want to do? You just want to get there. Why do you press on? You want to get there. You want to be there. There's something or somebody that's there that you're looking forward to. So that is our destination. Well, what about the stuff where you came from? It don't interest me anymore. That's all passing away. And you end up with nothing in the end. I love that scripture. It talks about Abraham again in chapter 11. By faith he sojourned, verse 9 and 10. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This is basically saying Abraham was just a homeless wanderer. <laughs> That's all we are, really. When you boil it down, where is our citizenship? Where is our home? It's at the end of our destination, and the narrow way is the one that takes you there, not the broad road. You won't get there that way. 
Jesus said it would be with difficulty, it would be with tribulation, persecution, even hatred. Matthew's Gospel chapter 16 and verse 24, Jesus had this to say about that. He said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It's a difficult way. Scripture says in another place about taking it up daily. Daily. It's not going to get easier as far as where we're traveling through. The world is an evil, ungodly place and we are swimming against the tide. They're not going to line up in opposition to us. The rich young man came to Jesus about a, with the question, what do I do to inherit eternal life? You know the discussion. Mark 10 records it, verse 21. Jesus finally said, One thing thou lackest, go thy way. Sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. He was sad, grieved, and he went away because he had great possession. He didn't want to travel the way where you have to take up a cross. He didn't want that. It is a cross-bearing way, but it will lead to the destination. Jesus' own disciples in John 6, some of them found it too hard. It's it's too hard. We're going back the other way. The other way. But the saints of God press on because they esteem the destination better than the conditions of travel. Paul said it in, uh, what was that scripture? 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding internal way to glory. Paul's eye was fixed on the destination, not upon the troubles he met along the road. And remember, I don't have time to go there, but how many times he'd been beaten? Forty times, save one. You know, five times, I believe he said, stoned, left for dead, suffered famine, hunger, thirst, nakedness, shipwreck. He had a rough road. What do you think he'd say today if he could stand here and say, Paul, was it worth it? <laughs> he called it light affliction. You know, what would you call it if you had suffered those things? We'd probably be whining, moaning, and crying to one another about how bad we've had it, right? Well, it depends on our faith again. The sufferings of this present world, he said in Romans 8.18, are not worthy to be compared with the glory we'll have in heaven. So it's our destination, our eye on our destination, that causes us to go forward on the narrow way. Finally, the way discovered. The text says, Jesus said, Few there be that would find it. Now this is a very interesting statement and must be properly understood. Many have made a lot of errors here. The Armenian makes errors here. Some people tell us, and I've heard some prominent preachers say, that everybody's seeking for God. The Bible doesn't say that. I agree, everybody's looking for something, but God's not at the top of the list. Is every man religious by nature? Yes, in a sense, because he has a conscience. You know, in that sense, he is. But the conscience is defiled, and he doesn't pursue God, seek God. He seeks his own God. 
And he'll hire his own priest if he wants to, like the man in the Old Testament did, and set up his own religion, his own way. And that road won't get you there, I can assure you. Well, the way is only discovered by few. Why? Let me say, first of all, not because it's a hidden way. No, it's not a hidden way. Jesus, or rather, God has not hid the way of salvation. It has been pointed out wherever the true gospel has gone. It is very clear. Let me, let me put it to you like this by way of illustration. When the Israelites were at the Red Sea and God parted the sea, the way was very clear which way to go, wasn't it? Well, the gospel makes it just that clear about where the narrow way is. I mean, I've given you some scripture already. What more could we say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh the Father but by me. That's the gospel. Anytime anybody hears those words, wherever they are, whatever they are, wherever they come from, and whatever generation they heard, they have heard the easy, simple way to find the straight gate. It's not over there. It's not in that. It's not religion. It's not in that church. It's not in this person. It's not in nobody but Jesus Christ. That's clear. That's simple. You don't have to be a theologian for that. The gospel proclamation declares to the whole world that you don't have to go turning over rocks or digging around in the archives of churches to try to find the way of eternal life. No, it is clearly declared in God's own incarnate Son, Jesus Christ. So the problem is not that the way is hard to find. The problem is in the seekers. <laughs> Who's seeking? Luke again. Let's go back to that scripture in Luke. <clears throat> Strive to enter in at the straight gate. Luke 13, 24. For many, I say, will seek to enter in and not be able. Now, first of all, again, in defiance and opposition to those who say that everybody is seeking God, Romans 3, 10 through 12 said, There is none that seeketh after God. Now, I don't know anything to do but just believe that. If God said it. And then we could back it up with Psalm 14 and 53 where God looked down upon everything there was to look down on from creation from start to end and there was none, not one, that seeketh after God. So sinners don't seek God. Again, they seek something. But it is not God unless it's a God of their own choosing. Let me put it to you like this. I think this will help shed some light upon it. Do sinners have a desire to go to heaven? Yeah. Yeah, everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to go to hell. They got that desire. But who is willing to antagonize or strive to get there? Not many. Too hard. Believing is too hard. Repenting is too hard. Turning against family, friends, a way of life, sin, is too hard. Now, the sad part is, sinners aren't seeking, but God could not have made it more clear. Here again, let me use the analogy. You know, uh, now we got phones and technology, and I know all that stuff, but used to, you had to have a map. You had to have a paper map, Okay? We've all used them probably, right? And we've all tried to read them while we're driving, which we probably shouldn't have done. But again, 
If you've got an accurate map, you can get where you're going, if you can read the thing. Well, God has given us His Word. It is a big road map of life, if, you will, if that makes sense to you. It has detailed, very detailed directions about the narrow way and the straight gate. And again, anybody who reads it can understand, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father by, by me. Enough said. It's that simple. It's that simple. That's the way. So the problem is not with the map. The problem is not with the instructions. The problem is not with the gospel. Just like it's not the problem, the seed was not the problem in the parable of the sower. It's where the seed ended up. And sinners are represented to be deaf, dumb, blind, and doing their own thing their own way. So it's not God's fault. What more could God have done? But you know the sad part about sinners is they'll take directions from anybody but God and His Word. John Doe jumps up and says, well, I believe this is the way to heaven. Oh, I believe too. I'm going to follow you. And lo and behold, we got another denomination. Joe Smith jumps up. we got another denomination. A bunch of irregular churches jump up and form Catholicism and we got multitudes going that way. And it don't matter what cult it is or what denomination it is or Muslims or whoever it is or Buddhists or Hindus or, or whatever isms it is. Sinners will listen to anybody but God. You know what that's, Jesus referred to that? Blind following the blind. Let me ask you this. Would you take directions from somebody that had never been where you're going? Why would you? I mean, wouldn't you feel a little better if you ask somebody how to get to somewhere and they could say, yeah, I've been there and you know, this is how you get there. I mean, yeah, that'd be a little better. But sinners will follow anybody but the person that's telling them the truth. I get fascinated sometimes at the grandkids. I was around them some this week, of course, and privileged to do so. And, and we'd be doing things or something and I'd be out and the good thing about them is they got little legs. You know, they can go fetch you stuff. Man, I love that. You know, but you got to tell them what to get and where it's at. And that's where the difficulty comes in, just like with sinners in the Bible, you know. Okay, go to this place and look on this shelf and look, get this thing that's this color. And the poor little boogers have trouble with that. You know, I mean, they're little. They've probably never seen one of those before. And if you give them more than two instructions, they get them confused. It's just like sinners. And so no matter how clear God makes it, sinners still stumble at the Word, don't they? Few there be that find it. Well, how in the world do sinners find it anyway? Do some just stumble upon it like a blind hog finding an acorn? No, there are no accidents with God. There's only providence with God. It's simply like this. The Bible tells us that there's none seeking, there's none looking. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but they want to do it their own way. I don't advocate country songs and country singing, but this song, I've never even heard the whole song, but I remember it many, many years ago. There's an old country song called Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. And it always stuck in my mind, 
Sinners are always looking for heaven in all the wrong places and all the wrong means and all the wrong churches and all the wrong avenues and all the wrong ways. Because they're sinners. And you was doing it and I was doing it too. Well, how in the world did we ever end up on the right way? Well, let me tell you. God in His providence opened our eyes and opened our ears so we could hear His instruction. So that when it come time to say exit here, we were able to exit instead of just keeping on going. That, that's it. God must open our eyes, open our ears to His Word, His instruction, and He does it in regeneration, being born by the Spirit of God. This is why Jesus said you must be born again. Not to be born again is to end up in hell on the broad road that leads to destruction. But if you are born again, then you will seek in a whole different way. Then you will knock where you've never knocked before. Then you will humbly ask where you would have never asked before. And with a broken and contrite spirit, you will exit. Christian left the city of destruction, didn't he? And he entered the wicked gate. You see, again, there's agonizing in that, isn't it? Let me give you this in closing. Two things, and I promise to wrap this up. In Acts chapter 8, marvelous illustration here. Please allow me to make this point. In chapter 8, we read about the account of the Ethiopian eunuch. I won't read all of this, but at verse 26, Philip was sent down there. He didn't know where he was going. God just said, go. He went, didn't ask no questions. He got down there, and here's this man of Ethiopia, great authority, it says. And he come to Jerusalem to worship, so he's religious. Returning, setting his chariot, in verse 28, he's reading Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah. The Spirit said, Philip, go near. Philip ran near to him, heard him reading, and Philip asked the question, understandest what thou readest? Here's my point right here for everything I just said to you a while ago. He said, how can I accept some man should guide me? You see, you can't do it on your own. But God has made it possible. He put a man there. He put the gospel message there. And then God worked in this man's heart to open his eyes and open his ears to what this man had to say. And he knew it was time to exit. And right there, on the, in that chariot, on that road, and again, no pun intended here, but it is kind of unique, isn't it, that he was on a road. But it wasn't the literal road he was on in his chariot, but he took a different road from that road that day, didn't he? You know, that would preach another sermon, wouldn't it? You know, Saul of Tarsus was on a Damascus road too, and he took a road he wasn't planning on taking, did he? You know, there may be something to that. Well, I study that out. Nevertheless, this is exactly what we're talking about. How can I accept some man guide me? Well, thank God that God has given us guides, huh? Evangelists, preachers, teachers, mothers, fathers, Sunday school teachers, whoever it may have been. That in conjunction with their instruction, he opened our eyes and saw that we were headed to our doom, to where we deserved, but that God had made a way. Wow. Let me give it to you like this, and I'm, I'll close here. You know, when God saves you, it's easy to see yourself as a lost sheep, isn't it? And you think about that or when God saves you and you think, 
I saw the shepherd. You know, I saw the Savior. I found him. And that doesn't last very long if you're taught correctly. And then you realize that it was the shepherd that had a long time ago left the 90 and 9 and came looking for you. You thought you found him, but in reality he found every one of us, didn't he? He sought us. He bought us. He came to us. He tells us to come to him, but we only do so because he gives us a will to come. So all glory to him. All glory to Him. It was Him who came looking for us. I believe it was Martin Luther that said something like this, if you're outside of Christ, you're just wandering. What road are you on today? Can you remember being on the broad road? Can you remember how you got on the narrow road? Isn't that a wonder? Is that a wonderful thought, memory to your mind? Did he find you or you found him? Did you do something to get there or did he do it all? Folks, it's all a grace. And I conclude by saying again, if you have not changed your direction, then your destiny has not changed either. I hope by God's grace you know the difference between these two roads and you know how you got to where you are and by that you can know where you're going to end up. God bless this to your here.